I have Matt Workman back again. He's been on the podcast before, but you've been up to so many insane things, Matt. Uh, I, I can't even track it all on social media, but uh, anybody not already following you should check you out because you are up to interesting business. How is it going? Pretty good. Yeah. Thanks for having me back on. It's also nice to just talk to someone else. I feel like I'm on, <laughs> I guess I do Zoom calls and stuff like that, but I have been right here for a very, very long time. I was supposed to be at conferences and whatnot. So this is the, this is the next, I know, next uh, best thing. This was going to be my big year for conferences. Like this was going to be the first year uh, I was definitely going to go to WWDC. Um, I was going to go to NAB this year. Uh, you know, mm. I was just excited about all these things. And well, ob- obviously that's not happening. But I was, I was trying to attend a, a little bit of the virtual conferences I could. There was the Sound Devices hosted a sort of replacement audio conference, uh, just streaming stuff on YouTube and brought a bunch of other companies together to announce products. So I was checking that out. But it is not the same. No, it's it's definitely not. I, I want to support those and I've been asked to speak on a bunch, but I'm just like, if it's going to be like some of them are like paywalled too, because it's a conference, right? So it's like, okay, so we'll we'll pay to go to those. But then in general, it's like they just don't have the following that's like as worth it for me. It's like I could just make my own video that would probably do better or like I would host it at this point, you know, versus going to the conference is like completely different because you meet them in person. It's just like, that's the value for me. Well, or a big challenge is that watching a stream, a lot of brands are coming up. They're like, well, I don't need your product. Like I'm within 10 seconds. I'm like, oh, that's not what I need. And if you're at a real conference, you would just walk by the booth and keep walking to the next booth. And that's mm-hmm. part of the discovery process, right? You're just like finding stuff you didn't expect to, but you can keep moving. When you're watching a video stream, there's none of that. You're just like, you just got to sit through it and keep watching it and hope that the next one is still interesting. But, uh, but what are you doing to occupy your time? I mean, so I, I know I've, I've mentioned you on the show a few times since, cause there's a bunch of cool stuff you're up to, but I know you could describe it way better than I could. So the, the catch all term for now is called virtual production. Uh, generally what I've been doing. And I think like in the mainstream, like the, the biggest flagship example of that is the Mandalorian. So that was shot or a lot of it was shot against really 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 large led walls and the video that was on the led wall was a live 3d render um with like a tracked camera so if the real camera moves around baby yoda the 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 virtual environment basically shifts with it so that it really gives this like kind of great illusion of uh the live action actors being in that set and then those led walls then light the real set as well and so that's like the highest and form of Ellie of uh, virtual production. So I've been, I uh, was able to shoot a demo of that, basically a demo shoot for that kind of technology with that same Mandalorian team for SIGGRAPH, uh, rest in peace conferences um, uh, last year. <laughs> uh, my first and probably not last, it's pretty morbid to say last, but yeah, I'm, no, I'm not sure when, on. not sure when exactly we're going to do demos like that again. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, so I was able to shoot basically a mini Mand- mini Mandalorian and kind of show that tech before Mandalorian came out, which is really exciting. Uh, and then since then, I've built my own little stage in my house and just kind of uh, been working on that kind of stuff. I think last time we were talking, it was we had just been hearing a little bit about the Mandalorian. I don't think it had quite come out, so nobody nobody mm-hmm. really understood what you were talking about in a way. <laughs> where like we you know we yeah. saw some of your demos, but I think the mainstream public hadn't encountered the real potential of what this technology can do. 
Um, and since then, yeah, the demo that you made went super viral. Like everybody saw that. And that was, and since then the Mandalorian behind the scenes has come out. Mm-hmm. And I think now everybody realizes, oh, this is going to, this is going to be big. Like this is something we're all going to be talking about in any sort of behind the scenes or VFX or, or any of that stuff soon. And I think there's a good chance a lot of listeners won't necessarily be at a level where they could start doing, you know, working on the types of productions that you're talking about. But we all know it's cool. <laughs> you know, we all know like not only is it is it just fun to learn about, but it, there will be some hopefully more approachable or easily digestible version of it coming soon that hopefully we can all play with a little bit. Um, it, right now, with the stuff that you're using, like most of your most of the tools in your toolkit seem to be primarily like consumer-ish products, like pro-consumer mm-hmm. products, not super high-end pre- precision technical gear that was custom-built just for you. What does it take to do the stuff you're doing right now in terms of investment? Yeah, so like, you know, with that in mind, just like, you know, I'm interested in the high-end for sure, um, but that's not mm-hmm. something people own. Uh, so yeah, I started like doing what I call like indie virtual production and it really basically starts off with having uh, an HTC Vive, like a, you know, just a, a VR headset with the controllers. And because that system can basically track the position of the controllers, like you can imagine, like that's how it works. Like you play VR games, it's like tracking your, your hand controllers. If you basically mm-hmm. stick one of those controllers on top of a real camera, you're like, I don't know the percentage, you're like 50% of the way there. Not like in quality, but like as far as tech, like... To do that kind of stuff, uh, basically, if you're not using a Vive, it jumps up from being like $1,000 for a Vive to being like 50000 to 100000 for uh, high-end trackers, right? So like a, a big part of the illusion is to basically match a real camera and a CG camera and, you know, the tracking aspect of it um, is it was like a huge barrier. And now I do it very mm-hmm. indie. I think you can see it maybe behind me, not for the podcast people, but like there's a, a Vive <laughs> for tracker. The, for the video people, yeah. Yeah. Well, imagine well, a Vive the, tracker the, or VR controller on top of a camera. That's literally the first step. And it's pretty prosumer, like you said. But what it reminds me of is the things I had seen like this before were Avatar behind the scenes, mm-hmm. um, yeah. where they're walking around, you know, with the green screen and a somewhat real, half real looking camera. And wherever you point it is what you see in um, the virtual space. How, what, what, not in terms of like professionalism, but in terms of approach, what kind of gap is there between the techniques used back then for Avatar and the type of production we're talking about right now? Uh, it's probably worth, you know, kind of breaking down maybe the three types of virtual production that are pretty, um, pretty common at this Please. point. Yeah, so the the first kind is all CG, and this is like you know like your Avatar or um, certain mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings type scenes, and so you have just all you have is something that's tracking the position, um, like a Vive controller, and like that is basically just controlling a virtual camera. So it's all virtual, and the thing you're doing is you're adding like human handheld motion to it, and you can basically see into this little window of the virtual world. But that's that's it. You can just see in the monitor the virtual world, and you're just looking around. I feel like there's more and more examples of that kind of stuff now with like Apple AR kit and whatnot. It's somewhat kind of known how that looks. In that case, you still need like a team of artists doing all of the other sides of production, like uh, you know art direction and acting and uh, animation and like all of that stuff is happening somewhere else. And you are the camera crew 
Yeah, and I do um, a lot of that. And there's a lot of interest from like, you can imagine the, the video on demand platforms right now to execute all CG stuff. Like I've been consulting and talking with a lot of companies that are going into pitches and meetings to, to execute that way. And so like, it really comes down to, in my opinion, um, you know, the camera work and lighting is kind of what the stuff that I do. Uh, and then the mocap for the actors, like you're typically going to do mocap, it's getting more affordable to just like, you know, have a suit and um, versus hiring a team of animators to animate every single aspect of it. The motion capture actually makes it um, more and more approachable. And I'm doing a short film like that right now. I just worked with a mocap team uh, remotely. Uh, we kind of both made this, you know, little short uh, as far as like, you know, what happens uh, they're a professional mocap studio. They did the mocap remotely and I was watching it on Zoom. And then they essentially send that to me at the mocap data. And then I film it uh, in my house again with my, you know, all virtual tools. But uh, I film it and light it to try to make it look very realistic. So that's like the first type. And that's like, yeah, av that's basically your avatar. And like the difference mm -hmm. of what I do and what they were doing is none at this point. It's very little. Actually, mine's a little bit ahead because I'm rendering in real time at a very high <laughs> graphical fidelity. But we have to remember, this is like how many right. years between then and now. They were like, like you said, like building custom stuff. It didn't exist. Yeah, I oh, get to inherit that basically and just be able to yeah. use Unreal Engine and a Vive. They, they make it basically trivial for me. A lot of this is what makes the work you're doing so interesting at this moment because we're all at home right now. But all of a sudden, you're able to do stuff that would seem like it was created with a bigger crew or can just feel like part of a future, like who could have imagined that video production could be remote work and you could still be collaborating with other people and be part of a team and doing it in a home studio where you just set up a green screen lights and, you know, some camera equipment. I don't, what, what's it been like working from home for you right now? Like, I, I don't know about you, but I can't focus on anything and can't wake up in the morning. <laughs> Is like... Are you still as efficient as you were before? Because I know I'm not. Yeah, well, you were like traveling all the time, right? Like, it was like a huge part of it. And like, you know, I'm sure like being inspired by like, you know, the new locations and, you know, wake up in the morning and seeing the sunset. Like I've seen your Instagram, like, like I'm sure that's a part of, you know, that's a driving force for a lot of creators. Um, so I can imagine, you know, waking up in the bed every day. <laughs> like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Like it's, um, it's not something I should be complaining about, but it, it's, big changes like that are just hard to adapt to and hard to create a new schedule and a new uh, everything. I mean, literally every detail of how we work. It's like, okay, let's let's figure it all out from scratch now. Other than, you know, there was always a, a studio component for us. So basically mm -hmm. it's refocusing on one aspect of what we were doing. Whereas I realized there are some people that just can't do what they were doing before at home. So, you know, I, I think we're still in a very privileged position to be able to do any of our work, but yeah yeah i mean for me i've been you know five years ago i kind of started to transition from freelance dping to being a developer uh so i've been pretty much working from home anyway uh, i go out and do some shoots they're mostly like r d jobs like um like what i did with epic games and the led wall but i'm pretty much working from home already um and so this doesn't actually change all that much for me the main difference is like my kids are home from school so they're always around which is but you know, so which is a good thing too but, you know, as far as distraction, that's a little bit more. But uh, for mm -hmm. me, I pretty much get to keep doing this. And it, you know, essentially the the lockdown and the shutdown of the film industry and basically what will come is the reimagining of the film industry. Like we have to be creative about how we go back to work. There's a lot of articles. I read them every day. I just read one recently about 
what people think it's going to look like when you go back is that people are looking to look to change like like you know virtual production mm -hmm. was coming you know mandalorian is like oh that's a great use case like maybe we'll do that and there's actually a, a bunch of those stages up in la now because they're like hey this is good we'll do this for some things now all of a sudden you know there's full cg executions that are you know for you know for all intents and purposes animation but when we go back to shooting real actors it's like those sets need to be very small like you can't have a you can't have a million mm -hmm. people like like a film set is like the worst case scenario for well, spreading a yeah virus. could you actually spell that out a bit i've been really curious about what the i mean we're all wondering because nobody has the final answers here but what will a ramp up of film production looks like because if anybody listening doesn't know i mean nothing's getting made right now you know there's, no, there's not a lot of yeah, there's very little that's being filmed anywhere, and especially anything big, anything we're used to in terms of a big Netflix release or a theatrical release, like all that stuff is pushed sort oh, yeah. of indefinitely. And now we're getting this cascading effect where, you know, you can see it in the Marvel Universe, especially everything that was booked for, you know, October is now in January. So anything that was in January is now coming after this. So I don't even know how they will ever reconcile this because it's going to be such a big bump. I'm sure some things will end up getting cut. Some they'll have to do a hard reset on actually. And even in terms of scripts, I think a lot of planned scripts will resonate very differently. If they just film something that was written in pre lockdown universe. Now we've all been living in, you know, knowing what a pandemic's like, yeah. it may just feel different if it doesn't take any of this into account. Yeah, any like scenes at like a sporting event, you're like, oh, what is this? Is this like a period yeah, yeah, film a or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, just in terms of like production, do you what do you think's going to happen? How are we going to start up again? Um, you know, I'm not a doctor, but like, so when I when I read from Hollywood Reporter and Variety, like they they're polling, and I, I, you know, I'm I'm privy to what the unions are up to uh, to some degree. They they mostly want to protect their workers. You know, so uh, I think the majority of them are like, until there's like a legitimate cure and like basically like government sanctioned like this is how we do things that's their job is to not let you go back um there's some mm -hmm. state i know some people that are about to jump back in uh, i've heard like june for some things but it's it, it that feels very risky and like so what what basically i'm hearing at, at the moment this is all could change tomorrow is that small productions can kind of go back and that's where virtual production sort of slides in is that like say we're shooting an LED execution, it's like, okay, well, there's basically no traditional art department or there's a very small one because it, there's not much that's real on set compared to the whole set being real. That's a massive art department, like massive. Everyone together, like literally hammering sets together. So right. that part gets smaller. And then the actors, it's like you have like one actor on stage or two, right? And they have to like, um, you know, you're talking like remote camera work where like the, the camera operators are possibly not even in the same room. It's all like remoted in. And then the lighting is virtualized as well. So you'll, st I think things like that are, are possible. And we see huge interest um, from studios that want to start shooting their content. They're like, we were going to build those sets, but now we're 100% looking at walls. Now we're looking at virtual production. So the small ones we can kind of see go back. But what I hear from the unions and like, you know, big, like big productions, it's like, I said it before, it's like, that is the worst case scenario for trying to contain something like this. It's, it's like... Mm -hmm. I think to, I, I wish I had the quote, but like Jody Lee Leipz, the DP said, it's like a film set with like you know, social distancing isn't a film set. It's like, that's not <laughs> right. Like we're, we're like, you know, it's like the camera, like there's like five of us, like all just like crammed together filming, you know what I mean? Like the first, like we're just yeah, all like totally. so close. It's like, and that's, we're all looking at each other. We can hear each other breathe. Like I know who's breathing behind me. And then like, 
it just it makes this like you know or, live organism of filming a set so like magical and fun I, you know it's like what i think a lot of people love about it you see that and you're like wow that is incredible like all these people are like completely synced together and making this film happen and that's like movie magic but in the lens of you know the virus it's like that's terrible that's mm -hmm. just not can't happen so you know yeah. all these big big movies there's hundreds of people on set and it's like that that just can't be and then the the legal um you know the legal responsibility to take care of those people uh falls on the studio so if people are getting hurt like if you if, like if someone gets you know god forbid gets hurt and dies on set it does happen you know it's big news mm -hmm. it's like a big deal so you multiply that by anyone you know the percentages of people that get very very ill or die you know from this it's like you just can't have movie sets like that until there's like a very clear path forward to completely prevent it or cure it so those big productions it's basically a huge hold like there's just no there's no way to go back into a set like that um but we're seeing smaller sets maybe happen and it's um for me uh being kind of like at the sort of like the front of virtual production at a certain angle is that it's accelerated virtual production like like a thousand fold like it's great like mm -hmm. the amount of people that reach out um virtual conferences virtual concerts like the music industry like you're seeing we could talk about Fortnite if anyone knows about it but like virtual yeah, the you know, virtual and then major laser yesterday in diplo um live streaming into Fortnite. it's like people need to do their you know sports is looking at you know interesting angles as well and it's like we're gonna tr people are gonna try to figure out remote um but like when will we go back into like the uh everyone on set together i'm not sure I've, i keep i hear things like for like the big movies it's not until like 2021 uh, and that's probably just like a placeholder yeah. to see what what really happens this episode is brought to you by clean my mac x a versatile piece of software for your mac it replaces dozens of other optimization tools making your mac cleaner faster and safer in 12 years it's transformed from a simple mac cleaning app to a powerful all-in-one solution loved by thousands of users. It's recently been released in the Mac App Store, which is further proof that it is a legitimate and safe solution for your MacBook. CleanMyMac X gives you control over files and apps on your Mac. It scans your storage and reveals tons of hidden junk that can be safely removed. And what's most important, it doesn't touch your essential system files, so it just scans your computer for malware, including adware, spyware, trojans, and other culprits that may steal your data. It's also really helpful when you want to delete apps or big programs that might have lots of little files hanging around. It allows you to uninstall several apps all at once, which can save a surprising amount of space on your Mac. And speaking of free space, there's a new feature called Space Lens, which basically lets you dig through all the folders of, on your Mac and visualize them all at once. You can see where big files are hiding and basically the heaviest folders that you can clear out and conveniently quickly find more storage that was kind of just hiding on your hard drive already. And now you can get Clean My Mac X in the Apple App Store and use it on all of the devices that share an Apple ID. So follow the link in the show notes to speed up your Mac's performance. Thanks again to Clean My Mac X for supporting the show. Yeah, my I see a little bit of it through my the lens of my dad, who is in a film union and does set construction. And he happens to have yeah. one of the very few jobs where so he, he basically like runs a CNC machine. So he's like cutting out mm -hmm. big pieces of, of sets. So he just goes into his personal little office with a big saw and is literally alone for 10 hours and then goes home. Mm -hmm. um, 
so he's been able to keep working, but the rest of the, everyone else is, is, is almost gone. Like this huge warehouse of stuff yeah. being produced. That's usually, you know, working around the clock, not only cause it's not required, but most people couldn't do it safely. So he, uh, it's just sort of interesting. There's like, there's very few little sections that still can be done on their own and everything else is kind of shut down. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, same for the, and same for the type of production that we do. I mean, not nothing we do is virtual. Like we, um, we had a video job the day the lockdown started. We were driving to it uh, at a ski resort, trying to basically like you know we kind of can see that things are slowing down. We have this one last job, and there's only two other like there's only going to be four of us uh, mm-hmm. on set doing it, and we'll be in the wilderness. And then uh, on our way there, we got a text like, "Okay, well, sorry, you're going to have to turn around because the government asked us to close today." I'm like, all right, well, I guess that's the end of it. And so all of our commercial stuff has been same thing. You know, we're going to be waiting for who knows how long. And I don't know. I mean, so what what'll be interesting about it coming back is at this like medium level of like smaller budget stuff. I think the first thing everybody turned to is like, well, what can we do with stock footage? But that's not all mm-hmm. that interesting. So, um, you know, there'll, there'll be this adaptation period, but with the, the stuff that you're working on, the, the things that you're working on still will require a, a lot of, a lot of work. I mean, so in indie production might have some challenges adapting to, a virtual set because now there's a lot i imagine there's a lot of manual work that's required like if you're doing so if you've got like mocap at home like let's say actors can basically record themselves or work with just very few other people mm-hmm. then you still need digital art being done so that means artists sitting at computers and i imagine a, a number of them like it'd be a challenge to have just one or two i mean how many people are required to do a small scale virtual production. So the hardest part is the digital human, if that's the execution, you know, like that's, you know, mm-hmm. getting the digital human made or, you know, licensing one and then puppeting it correctly. That's that's the hard part. We didn't get around to you explaining the other kinds of virtual production, which I think we only got around to the full virtual. Um, what other options do we have out there? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So to bring it back to... Um, you know, the three types of virtual production, I can do it real quick. Also, I want to talk about like what my agency has been doing for remote DP work. It's been kind of interesting. Um, but like three types of virtual production, it's like all CG, right? It's like digital humans in mocap suits or, you know, digital humans that are run by a mocap suit and then digital cameras that there's no real camera. Uh, and that's actually the easiest because, you know, it doesn't require everyone to be there and, and there's no actor. But, you know, the the more interesting type, for the live action people is then called mixed reality. That's the second type is mixed reality. And that's where you're typically filming a real human, maybe with like a partial set, like a desk or a couch, think of like the news and they're against a green screen. Right. And we've kind of seen this. And so Mm -hmm. uh, you can still move the camera. uh, And when you look through the camera, you're doing a live comp and that live comp though, isn't just like a, like a static image. It's the full 3d set. Uh, And I've been doing, uh, a bunch of that. And they've been doing that on the news and live events and augmented reality is when you add a CG character then on top of that uh, whole thing. You'll see that on the news like every single day. They've been doing that in broadcast for quite a long time. And now it's very sophisticated and pretty much turnkey solution, just extremely expensive turnkey. Uh, and then the third type is LED wall virtual production where it's not a green screen anymore. It's a LED wall that's emitting light like it was the real world. That's the goal of it. Uh, and then the walls lighting the people, and now you get reflections too, and you don't have to chroma key anything. Like you're not sitting in a green, 
a green room mm -hmm. and if you go watch the behind the scenes of the mandalorian it's like magical because like you can basically suspend you know suspend your disbelief and just be like hey we're all looking at this together it's like all the benefits of vr except we can actually oh, yeah. all see it's it cool. so it's like it's a party it's like when i was as i was like i want to I want to shoot that stuff like 24-7. Like that's like kind of my my life goal at this point. But the whole lockdown sort of puts a hamper on like, oh, like I don't really <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, that one down. It mm -hmm. sure does. Yeah, it's it like, you know, you, you can run those somewhat small crew, but it's like, but you still need an actor. And all the big, like I hear from the big actors that a lot of them are like, yeah, we're not coming back. Like not anytime mm -hmm. soon. They're like, why would they? There's no, there's no need. For, like they're like, we've got, I'm not, I'm not, you know, say, like, but it's like, I'm assuming they have plenty of money. Plenty of people are like, we really need you to like VO these, you know, animated films that are being made. It's like, they've got plenty, but it's like, there's no point in risking their health over it. You know, they're not like hard up yeah, for it. Course. So it's like, so if the stars basically are just like, yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not down. We're not coming back until this is safe. Then there's just no movies, literally, unless it's like all new actors and whatnot. But yeah, those are the, those are the three types. And while it's still in my head, you you were talking about like, um, you know, shooting, like, you know, pivoting and shooting. So I'm on Gersh, which is a, a talent agency. They do above the line and below. I'm obviously below the line as a DP. Um, and immediately what was interesting is when this happened is they, they sent out, the, I think this is public. I don't think they would care if I said this, but like they sent out this like questionnaire and it was like, so what do you have at your house? Like what camera gear, <laughs> right, what yeah. lights, what people, what locations, you know, like, or if you live in like Montana, do you have like a farm you can go film and be safe about it? And mm -hmm. just what, what do you have that you could do right now? And, you know, I got that stuff and I talked with my agents about it. And like, there's basically like, they still need to shoot content. Like, I won't say the names of the clients, but you could kind of imagine if you've seen the commercials out there, it's like some of that stuff is shot by DPs in their house. <laughs> they're, they're direct. Right, and it's like, yeah. and it's like their family and then your family becomes talent and it's like, you do what you can. And like, that's legitimately happy i thought that was very I was, I was like so like all these like big dps now it's like if they have gear and they're so willing it's like you're a youtuber now like you are you are filming yeah. at your house but like you're getting like you know uh more or less agency rate and then like it's like legit buyouts for the talent and whatnot so it's very that was very interesting to see i i had that realization almost right away i suddenly had a re different relationship with all the gear that i own because usually i look at my gear and i'm like yeah that's pretty cool <clears throat> but I can't wait to get my next camera. Like this is this is all fun, but I, I I'm always thinking about the next thing that I'm going to get, and it really would that mm -hmm. was brought home when all of a sudden <clears throat> I realized there's kind of going to be a freeze on everything that I own. Like you know we don't have any new jobs coming in. I can't justify buying new stuff or buying something for a job. And mm -hmm. everything I own, its value is so much more. And like, what can it actually do for me? It, it the things that are practically useful are suddenly much more useful because uh, I don't just plan on expanding my kit in the near future, right? Like, I don't know what that timeline is going to look like. So mm -hmm. I, I also imagine that like DPs that aren't owner operators, if they don't have, you know, if, they, if they're used to shooting Alexa and they don't own one, they can't do exactly the same thing that they usually do at home. And all of a sudden, just that relationship of what you actually have changes i mean i don't know you just take some of these things for granted when you they're just part of your normal workflow and all of a sudden it's like well uh you know the everything in my backpack that's uh that's what i got to work with for the foreseeable future um that, and i did i i did order a new uh switcher but um but that's kind of about <laughs> it so and no i'm sure yeah Canon for some R5. people that are used to yeah some people that are used to working on a bigger set and not owning any of it, uh, you know, obviously it's like, this is a very different world where like you're saying, it's like, well, what do you got? What do you got at home? Cause that's what you're going to be working with. 
There's also a really beautiful um, Apple commercial recently, which you know I have no idea if it ties into any of this, but the unboxing of the iPhone SE, mm-hmm. and it was just that was that was one of the best reflections of current culture I've seen in a big budget commercial. Yeah, again, no idea how it was produced, but it's just a guy at home, dressed very casually, some very simple, beautiful shots of unboxing a new iPhone. And it's just like, yeah, like, how does Apple get it so, get it right so often? Um, and yeah, I mean, it looked like it could have been shot in the way that we're talking about right now. Yeah, well, there, you know, there's no question that, like, if you have, like, a window in an iPhone, honestly, you could, and, you know, and you know how to frame up and, yeah. you know, make a story happen, that it would look great and could be compelling. There's almost no question that's not even like a, it's not, that's objective. You could just yeah. do that, you know? So of course. it's, I think it comes down to just like, um, just good old storytelling. Like, can you, can you make it, can you make it happen? You don't <laughs> yeah. really need, you don't need the whole apparatus. Like the, the, the gear and all that stuff is so that you can move like insanely fast relative, you know, it's like, cause everyone like on a film set, it's like everyone has like one dedicated job more or less. And it just allows people to concentrate and move very quickly versus like, you know, if you've ever one man banded something, you're like, Oh, forgot the battery. Like, Oh, didn't turn the sound. You know, like that kind of stuff is like, and you know in a very solo (laughs) oh yeah 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 youtube is like yeah yeah, we know but it's like so like in that capacity you're like i got all the time in the world but you know when x actor costs you know hundred thousand per hour of being there you're like no one messes up anything it needs to always work so yeah that's like the the big difference but yeah if you're like me with like any any camera that's in this room and this window next to me if i take the sound blanket down it's like i could shoot something it'd be it would be great you know technology is definitely there and yeah the value of the gear you have when this happened i was like I'm pretty good, except if the internet starts to get throttled. That will start to really, really hurt me because <laughs> yeah. we see that in yeah. Europe uh, much faster than we do in yeah, the states, yeah. as as always with that type of like um, kind of law, that sort of legal stuff. Uh, you know, YouTube and whatnot. You know, starting to throttle down is that like everyone's home, so it's like uh, if the ISP at an ISP level, if they basically throttle it down, it's like that's really bad for me. But other than that, like I'm pretty. I'm able to I'm able to operate, but like you know, they could just like you know, DoorDash or Amazon or if anyone's like, hey, guess what? Shipping's like five times the amount. It's like, and you do what about it? Nothing. Like the the government <laughs> would have to come in. Yeah. Same thing with the ISP is if they're like, cool, yeah. we're throttling down, but if you still want that, it's like you know, two thousand a month. Like they, it's feasible. That would be like the main thing for me that would um, be bad. And obviously, if we lost power, everything I do is on the computer. Yeah. So I would be like, well, now I'm. Now I'm going to just go read, I guess, like a book. So, yeah, yeah then we really to learn to chill out. We would see, but, we would go insane because there'd be no talking to anybody. I guess if we had like a, like my landline's internet, you know, I couldn't even call anyone, right? Like how would you talk to anybody at this point? Yeah, I've never been so grateful for the internet before. It's like, it, it's definitely this connection of sanity and even, uh, you know, I've talked about this before, but the way that the role that podcasts play in my life right now where um, they've always done this to an extent of being a replacement for some social interaction. But now I've Mm -hmm. really realized it where I'm like, I'm having, you know, 30 to 50% less actual conversations a day. So listening to other people have one can definitely keep me a little more sane and feeling like I'm socializing even when there's no one around to socialize with. But yeah, I imagine the live streamers must be like way, way up. I'm pretty sure I've heard that they are. And it's like, cause like that's another form is like, you know, people, it's like basically how streamers work is like you know they build a community and they talk and they do their thing but like you know i think 50 percent or more of the people that are there are just actually there to talk with the other people in the chat so like i think things like that are like way way up and then if we look at like 
Fortnite's new like you know basically metaverse that they're doing now is like that is way way up for my like like insane like unprecedented is Fortnite just becoming second life like are they uh you know they're just being a world you can just go live in basically yeah it's been pretty open that that's their like one of their main goals is like you know i think Mm -hmm. facebook's numbers rival like facebook you know and for concurrent for events is like way way higher than any anything like more than like a netflix even it's like there you'll get like Mm -hmm. They do a live event. It's like, what was it? 30 million people saw the Travis Scott yeah, thing all at once. were it, crazy numbers. And multiplied by the, you know, everyone being home. But now it's like the need for it from the, from the sports and the music industry to be able to like make money off of that sort of stuff. Like, is, I don't know the deals, you know, about the back end of it, but I imagine maybe, maybe Travis Scott gets a percentage of like the skin sales or something like that. It's like, that's probably not something they were looking at before, but now it's like, you, you, I watch all these mu- musicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's usually, usually everything ends with like, oh, we're on tour, go buy tickets. And then you see, I always, I see all this new stuff and it's like, there's nothing. It just ends. And it's like, <laughs> so now you have to look at these business models of like sports people like streaming on Twitch for money. And then, you know, Travis Scott getting Fortnite percentage sale. I'm not saying he does. I'm just saying like that. Maybe that's something that yeah, sure. happens I mean, now. I hope he does. <laughs> uh, well, and I'm really the whole streaming thing has been really interesting to me too, because I've seen everybody turn on their streams and I know that being able to connect with other people using audio and video has become insanely important, uh, even just in terms of meetings. But I'm curious what will stick in terms of streaming. I've never been somebody that watched streamers because I don't, because I don't feel like I have the time, like just, Mm -hmm. I, I can't wait for like, sit there hoping, okay, I hope this stream is the time that something really interesting happens versus watching pre-made videos, something like YouTube, you know, that, you know, they edited out all the junk and you're just watching the 10 minutes of gold and everything interesting that happened in their day is contained within this video. Whereas a stream, it's like, well, I could, there could be nothing for a very long time. And especially if you're watching non-professional streamers, and I'm not just talking about videos, (laughs) this is anybody streaming their life. Everyone's yeah, been yeah. turning it on on Instagram. That's where I've really seen the most is people yes. just turn on live because it's there. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean they have anything to say or they're doing anything interesting. But I, so I'm curious how that's going to kind of level out. Like, will everybody keep streaming all the time, even though, you know, may only be a dozen viewers or, or less? <laughs> uh, or yeah. are we, you know, I don't know. I'm like, I, I don't think it's obvious that even though it's blowing up right now, how's it going to shake out? A year from now. This episode of the Stallman Podcast is brought to you by Modern Workplace, a podcast from Microsoft. Now, I don't know about you, but I love finding a great new show to listen to. And if you're looking for a new podcast, Modern Workplace is a monthly show that discusses the digital transformation and future of productivity. Each episode brings you access to business and technology leaders who are creating the future. Each episode has a focused topic, a deeper conversation with a Microsoft corporate vice president, plus related news and updates. And just so you have an idea of what to expect, let me tell you about some of the interesting topics that they've covered. Things like machine learning and AI, along with remote work and the art of teamwork. And also important things for any startup like cloud migration. I don't work at a tech startup anymore, but when I did last time, it was so interesting to me to see just how far things have come where you can pretty easily get everything up and running without building a server in your closet. I mean, 
I know that anybody that uh, is a sysadmin out there realizes how easy this is, but having Microsoft dig into it, they had a lot of really interesting insights into how that world operates right now. So go and listen right now. Just search for Modern Workplace wherever you get your podcasts. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-W-O-R-K-P-L-A-C-E, or just click on the link in the show notes and go get it now. Our thanks to Modern Workplace and Microsoft for their support of the show. I don't think it's going to let Do you watch streamers? I, I do only for like research or like community aspects. Like if it's like with a company or something like that, I'll go support them. But like on my own, um, not really. There's some game streamers that I'll watch like Shroud. Um, like, like I like games. I don't, I don't play them because I like games too much. So I don't, I don't play anymore. But like if a new game <laughs> yeah. like Valorant comes out, I'm, I'm watching, you know, I'll watch the top streamers. You, you turn on Twitch. It's like, oh, there's like a million people watching Shroud play right now. I guess he's on Mixer, but like, I'll get into a little bit of the hype cycle like that, or like if it's a live event for gaming, I'll watch like the you know the TI or something like that for Dota. But in general, no, not really. Like I have things to do. I need to like, you know, if I want to turn off my brain, I'll go watch like a regular movie. And if I want like the mm-hmm. content, you know, like you know content content, I'll just watch YouTube. YouTube is way stronger for that. I don't think that like people, everyone streaming other than Zoom calls, that's going to be here for a very long time will really last because the people aren't going to ROI anything from it. And it just becomes like, you're just not going to mm-hmm. do it. It's like the story of everyone that tried to make a Twitch channel, myself included. Um, it's like, it's just not going to be viable. It's not worth your time. It's like not going to work, you know? So it's like, it's really going to be like the Titans of, it's always the top 0.01% of people that can actually make mm-hmm. a living at any, any fields of, of that type of thing. And that requires a lot of dedication, huge audience. And also like, you know, funding it's expensive like if your audio is trash it's like no they're not it's not going to work out long term video yeah and then you have to be good at it it's like you you're more of an actor than anything else um when you're streaming oh, for like, sure even I, for that kind of thing even stuff like this doing the podcast i know that i get the opportunity to edit it afterwards so mm-hmm. i can you know we seem a lot smarter than we are sounding in real life because <laughs> if this was a stream it would feel slower than mm-hmm. what people end up watching right because if there's uh, just a moment where you can't think of anything to say, it goes away. And that's what YouTube videos end up being, right? I've yeah. actually noticed that on uh, the, I was about to call it the Colbert Report, but I guess it's the the late show <laughs> with Stephen Colbert. Yeah. Um, they switched from a more, I don't know, switch, but have gradually been editing it more and more. The first few weeks where he was recording from home, there's a lot more mistakes and just, mm-hmm. you could see the technical difficulties and um, longer pauses, even just, those awkward moments of, you know, I don't know that th- there's no applause and no laugh. So yeah, he would kind yeah. of still wait for it to die out and it would slow down the pace. They've started cutting up the show a lot more and you can just see that it's become more like a YouTube video and less like a live TV show. And I think it's absolutely for the better. It makes, it sucks some of the uh, tension out of the room when, uh, you know, things don't go the way that he wanted to and just makes it funnier. I, so I don't know. I, I think there's good reason for everybody to go and buy a better webcam, make just mm-hmm. most of all, make sure you have some kind of real microphone. I think that ability to present yourself well to the outside world is way more important than ever. But yeah, like oh, we're yeah. saying, actually doing it for a big audience is not I don't think will suddenly become really important or common or the most popular form of entertainment. Although I wouldn't have predicted Twitch in the first place, so maybe you just shouldn't ask me. But like, okay. even in terms of the video game stuff, I've been watching a lot of video game videos mm-hmm. lately, 
and I'm not tempted to watch people play them live. I, <laughs> it's much more like uh, either you know reviews or like thoughtful analysis. Like I've been watching animation breakdowns of mm. uh, you know comparing Final Fantasy VII remake to the original Final Fantasy animation. That was an interesting yeah. one, but. Yeah, it ga- gaming is its, its own thing cuz like people look at it like a sport. Um it's I think it's partially generational and if you're into it or not. Some like golf's pretty yeah. big. I don't watch live golf events, but I hear <laughs> millions of people do and there's lots I hear of it's money huge. involved. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, you look at game streaming, it's the same thing. You're either like it's I love golf and like I'll watch everything and you know, or, or you don't, you know. So it's I don't know if that like is live, you know, if that you know, reflects like live streaming or not. But yeah, I agree. Like when it comes to internet stuff, it's like, I don't need to watch live television anymore, right? Like sit through the commercials and whatnot. I'm like, I just want the five minutes that I like and have YouTube curate what I like at the moment. Like their algorithm mm-hmm. updates like per mo- per second. You just start binging a certain thing. They're like, that's what you're getting recommended now. <laughs> like, like, and I, I rely on those services at this point to find stuff, you know, versus just like sitting through content. It's like, I think people look at that at a, at a, People who watch that, that just that's what they want to do though. It's like that's their social thing. It's like I've had a little bit of appreciation for some of the older formats um in one specific way. So for one, with the news, I'd really gotten into the habit over the last few years of paying less attention to my local news. Like I would, you know, mm-hmm. go to all the big ones, right? To like international news websites and uh aggregators like uh Reddit to sort through everything and I'm like, okay, I want the best writers in the world presenting me with my information. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas the local talent pool is maybe not the same. All of a sudden I realized, well, my local news is suddenly a lot more important to me and to you and to everyone, wherever you are, knowing what's happening in your city has become way more important. And, uh, you know, unfortunately journalism's going through a fresh round of gutting lately. So local news is getting even harder to, um, you know, really, Local journalism is getting more challenging to do well, but I've appreciated a lot more. And then the other aspect is, I think there's also some value to, okay, well, I, you know, I don't want to get into like, where do you get your news? Because I think everybody, that's become a bit of a, a, a button to press. Like people have strong opinions <laughs> about what is real and not real news, which is, is but um, yeah, there's also some value in having your family like sitting down and watching the news together can also eliminate some of that discrepancy where like your your closed group of people that you talk to if when you're all getting completely different tidbits and then you try to talk about the same issue but you're all kind of banking these secret little nuggets of information that nobody else in the circle has received it makes the conversation really difficult because you're not coming from the same place. Like even if you want to disagree, which can be helpful, like it can be good to argue with your friends and family about, you know, what do you believe? Why do you believe it? Um, Mm -hmm. But when you're all coming at it with like different sets of facts from different places, it's really challenging to have a cohesive conversation about it. So there's this extra little bit of value. If you just like watch the news on TV together, at least you started from the same place. And when you talk about it, you've all got the same information. That's just something I noticed recently. but Yeah, because, you know, so like right before the lockdown, uh, my family and I went to Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like, good, good idea. It wasn't. It I, I, yeah. We, we don't know if it was a good idea or not. But yeah, constantly right before it, we're like, 
you know, it, it really hadn't hit like at all. No one would have been like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, like no one would have been like, oh you're crazy, don't go at that point in time. It was like it's like oh we've heard about it, but it's like it's not in the states. Like whatever, like go, and we went and came back, and it's like so just decisions like that. I remember like having a discussion about like it's like oh i wanted to go to the grocery store and this is when it started to like really because i'm in massachusetts so it's like real um and people in new york it's even realer um but massachusetts is pretty up there and we're not looking to come like we're not coming down from the curve like the curve the down part of the curve that's not relevant to massachusetts right if you guys follow yeah. what's happening here but like or new york yeah it, locally in our city we're also still we got a pretty steep curve right now yeah and they're, they're looking like our our forecasting is not bright. Like, whereas like some states are like, oh yeah, like Georgia and like, you know, middle, you know, middle states where there's not maybe as much crowds. They're like, oh yeah, well maybe we'll come back in like June or like, you know, a month or two. Like Massachusetts is like, no, 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 like not anytime, not anytime soon mm -hmm. at all. But so they, th things about like, can I go to the grocery store? I remember that first discussion. I was like, cause like, yeah, like what, what do you mean? I, you know, I was, I was like, I'm going to, I want to go. I really need to go get some stuff. And at the, at the time, it was like there was a run on like Instacart and all the delivery services were like empty and no, you couldn't, you couldn't book anything. So it was like, it was kind of like right at the peak panic of uh, Massachusetts. And it was like, I need to go to the grocery store and get like food for us. I have mm -hmm. two kids. It's like, we eat a lot. It's like, it's like, we need to go. And yeah, we just, we basically, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to decide, we just basically watched like, you know, the news channel we watch. We don't have to say like, we, that, we, that we watch. And just like other sources and just talk to, I think the Facebook groups are really big for um, my wife. Like she's in contact with like lots of people locally that way. Right. And it was just basically, the consensus was basically like, no, like if you really don't have to, it's probably not worth it. So yeah, I, I, I think it's your point being that it's like, you, you kind of have to, especially as like a, in, in a family unit, it's like, you know, if I go out and come back and like drag in some, you know, bad stuff, it's like, that's, that affects everyone. So yeah, having everyone kind of at least watch just it get and on discuss. The same page. Yeah, or, yeah, like with the yeah. strategy, because like we're all working with incomplete information, and even more incomplete these days because it's all one hundred percent remote information. Like I don't talk to like too many like actual people about it, like at the water cooler, mm -hmm. so to speak. You know, it's like it's like yeah, you get it from who you get your news from, who you get it from, and if like that has any sort of like you know tainting or whatever in it, it's like that's what you know. Like I don't, I'm not out yeah. there like at the hospitals. I don't, I have no idea what's happening, so I'm one hundred percent relying on like Twitter. I feel like the <laughs> I only. Reddit. The only advice I'm qualified to give on this is how we talk about it, because I think we all need to remember what you just said, that all of our information is incomplete. So any of us that go and try to become the expert to everyone you know, and you are the one that has the true information and all your friends receive the wrong information. And if you find yourself becoming that sort of too pedantic about it, it can, it can like break down the trust between us. It can... Um, I've heard of it, you know, severing close relationships because people just can't talk to each other when they're too far on different sides of it. I think everybody, at least just be very aware that how you're talking about it, um, if you are only driving people away, whichever, what, whatever side you're on, whatever end of the scale, it's like, you need to still be able to communicate in a way that your people are listening to you and that you're not also breaking down relationships just to to hope to get your point across because if now you're just not talking to your friends and family anymore you're you're not you know we ha we haven't accomplished much um and i've had this feeling that a lot of people are kind of willing to um their expressing of their very strong opinions can become more important 
than the relationships with the people they're trying to get those opinions across to. Um, so I don't know. I'm just like, I just want to remind everybody, like be, be humble with your knowledge. You know, like we, we are all trying to figure this out and none of us have yet. And if somebody that, you know, is expressing perfect knowledge, it's probably a little bit of overconfidence at this point. Cause we're still waiting to find out a lot of the most important things about what's happening right now. So I don't know. That's my that's my little my message for the day to try ba- to keep us all getting along. Basically, don't go on Twitter. That's that's basically where like even some of the people like <laughs> I I adore. Yeah. They're just like, oh man, like we're we're going down this street today. <laughs> like, and I mm-hmm. get it because like you're I've home. I had better luck like... on Twitter than other places. I found f- when oh, I really? log on okay. to Facebook, which isn't that often, my Facebook is the most weird, and I think it's because. On well, for one, on Twitter, I'm really selective about who I follow. Like, I don't follow yeah. that many people, and mm-hmm. if people start getting obnoxious, I'm pretty quick to unfollow them. Whereas, yeah, with Facebook, yeah. it's a lot more about personal and historical relationships, where it would like send a message to real life friends or family if you were to unfollow them. So your feed just is what it is, and it's it's harder to change in a way. And then those fights on Facebook are more like personal and aggressive <laughs> because people know each other in real life more. I don't know. That's what I found, but I'm, I know everybody's feed is obviously different. Do you know why my Facebook feed is very clean? I well, have zero friends. Oh, you I solved unfri- it. You solved this the problem. Was, this was this was years ago. Uh, I made the decision to leave personal quote unquote Facebook. I still am extremely mm-hmm. active on Facebook. Uh, mostly through groups. I run groups. That's like my whole thing right now. And I run them very well, in my opinion. But I don't, and I have pages. And of course, Instagram is a huge part of my business. Um, Like day to day, I track how Instagram like affects everything. But like when it comes to personal stuff, de-added my entire family. I have uh, presidents of very big companies trying to keep adding me. And I'm just like, I have zero friends. And I just write back. I was like, I don't do that one. I don't do that. LinkedIn's its own special thing. Twitter, sure, follow if you want to. You know, YouTube, same thing. Mm-hmm. but I don't like the conflation of like what you said. It's like, oh, these are historical personal family relationships on Facebook. Right. Facebook is lovely. If you're listening, I use your service. We should talk, but like um, <laughs> with, uh, with what yeah. you're doing with VR, I would love to chat, but like, it, yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, they, they've gotten under the skin of, uh, you know, that type of society, you know, that type of uh, relationship. Cause it's, in, in my opinion, it's not. And that's why I'm like, oh, so I de-added my family. Are we not family, you know, like, or my friends, I'm like, email me, call me. But like, yeah, Facebook has this kind of skew to it that, um, especially with their current algorithm, it's just like, like, I don't, I don't engage. So yes, I can see why why Facebook is probably more, has more, more like, you know, aggressive things on it. But everybody creates their feeds differently too. Like, I know there's a lot of people that Twitter does become really toxic for them and and becomes the place to battle. And I just don't, that's not my Twitter experience. I don't know what I'm doing differently, but I hasn't ended up there at all it's heavily curated generally doing it yeah 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 it's just paying attention to who you follow and who you don't and not not creating toxic atmospheres for yourself i think the difference on twitter with facebook like facebook posts do go viral like personal it it is possible uh it does happen i still i see it every you know every once in a while but like more or less it's like your community who are like seeing it on twitter like you say something it could be, it's, it's one of the fun parts of Twitter. Someone has like some random thought. They have like a hundred followers. They probably don't ever, ever post. And it's some random thought and it goes oh, totally, yeah. viral, like just like bigger yeah. numbers than like the Super Bowl, like all of a sudden. So it's, it's those kind of things that like, if, especially if it's like one of those polarizing topics, like pick any topic, I guess these days, it's like, mm-hmm. then you get the doc storm. Then people start researching like where you live and your family. 
and the whole storm hits you and it's like well like it literally affect can affect everything like your business your personal mm-hmm. mental health like so that's the one thing i see about twitter is that like it could it could be like some famous person would be like this bad person i'm gonna retweet this and be like yeah. this is garbage yeah, the risk and it's like can be those there. are huge people and like they'll do they do that and that's what twitter is and it's like so then you end up on the receiving end so i've seen some i know people that's happened to i've never had anything like on a negative side happen like if Casey Neistat retweets something, like that's a, a positive <laughs> storm, um, right? Yeah, and those type of people. But it's like on the negative side, it's like oh my god, like people like it's just like okay, here comes a thousand death threats to my main email address, and like they're gonna start like finding my family's email addresses, and they're like you know what I mean? Like that's what happens, and it's like uh, that's Twitter, like that's what you play with when you're on there. I try to keep it very neutral. <laughs> like anything's retweetable, no one should get like too angry about it. But like on the on this topic, yeah, I see Twitter stuff just be like destroy people like who are not ready for it. Well, let's try to talk about something fun for a second. Um, <laughs> I've been, I so rarely have time to play video games and I decided that that's one of the things I'm going to take advantage of now. And uh, so I've been playing Final Fantasy VII and uh, that has been the sorry, Final Fantasy VII Remake, which mm-hmm. I've been excited about for years and years and years and years. Um and I don't know. I, I don't know where I'm ever going to create content about it because I've never made any gaming content, but it's on my mind. And I know you at least started it up and you at least care about it and have opinions mm-hmm. about it. You should make a video about it, man. Like Justine did her Animal Crossing videos and, you know. I don't have a way to, ca- I don't have a capture card yet. So I, I ordered Ooh, okay. the new Atom Mini Pro and I'm, it's going to be at least like a month before it arrives. So I, yeah. I can't record gaming content yet. So you just have to, en- you just have to enjoy it. Yeah. Final Fantasy is lovely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that works into my wheelhouse. A Final Fantasy remake is made with Unreal Engine. So I've, you know. Yeah. That's why I wanted to hear what you thought about it. Yeah, I follow it very closely. It's, you know, very high-level humans. You know, they look very good, you know, filmable. (laughs) Obviously, that's a form of content is to make, you know, a 10-hour interactive movie. You know, that's that's the video game industry. It's quite quite viable at this point. That's one thing I was wondering. Like, what did you see through a, a, I don't know, I don't know if I can call you a developer, but through your developer lens, like, what did you see when you played the game? Um, I mean, those characters to me looked absolutely unbelievable. They looked hard to believe it was real time sometimes and um is is it as good as as i think it is like uh and also wait i guess i shouldn't pack too much in one question <laughs> if if this was pre-rendered using the same models and unreal engine how much better could it look like how much is my hardware limiting me with unreal engines game engine well you're, the playstation is a very low powered spec um like very yeah, low it's getting old it's, very, it's old platform like my well, my computer's insane, but like my computer's like hundreds of times faster. <laughs> like it's just way, way mm-hmm. more. Um, so it's impre- impressive what they did. And so they funneled all of the quality into the digital humans. Like if there's like a meme about it, with more like within developers, that it's like the cloud's hair is like the entire rendering budget. And then like the buildings, if you look kind of like watch, the building textures <laughs> are like 64 by 64 or 120, like just tiny mm-hmm. resolution. Because you, you have a budget, you know, you have a, literally a memory budget. It's like, some of it goes here, some of it goes there. They put it all in the characters, and that's it's like a soap opera. So it's like you know, the it makes sense to put it there. But basically, if you were to move it onto PS5 or onto just PC, like if they made a PC version of it, they do a whole remastering pass, and like the whole thing would be like 4K um, textures, like quality wise, because you'd have like a you could spec for like a 1070 something like that. So the the environment would look a lot nicer. 
but that's that's pretty much it. They did a really good job optimizing it. You know, Unreal Engine has all the tricks to make it fit onto PlayStation in Switch games. You know, like that's kind of what it's made for. But it looks, you know, it wouldn't look massively different. Probably just better better environments. But the characters themselves are incredible. What about if we compare it to Advent Children? If we just looked at those side by side, like have we come far enough that a remastered Final Fantasy VII remake? <laughs> Could, like, could it look better than what was happening in Advent Children at this point? Um, or is that, you know, like, is the engine still not at the same point as the tools that were used to make a feature film a few years ago? Um, they're not quite there yet for the consumer, I would say. Um, very much what I do right now is, like, get very high-spec computers and attempt to film game stuff like it was pre-rendered you know post what is like the the cg movies because i am able to do the big difference is the lighting like real-time lighting on a game is very basic because it's very expensive to do unless you have a quadro 8000 and Mm -hmm. and like a full a full system then then i'm doing essentially like post rendering but at real time because my hardware is just so like insane um so like for me like doing virtual production i i am almost able to get that kind of like post-rendered fidelity out of the lighting and the models are already there but on your on your hardware on a ps4 it's there's a huge it's a pretty big difference from what i see but feel like maybe for the average person they may not notice it like the you know non-photographers like mm-hmm. you know even though you may not do cg you can probably look at the lighting and you know just the general image of it you know from a, a filmmaking and photography point of view but people that don't care that much they're not looking that closely it's like it probably doesn't look all that different to them. I don't think that there's um, a big difference. But if we look closely at the lighting and like that sort of stuff, it's it's still there. But you know, maybe by PS, if they're still making PlayStations, um, like PS six or something like that, mm-hmm. where you have like essentially like what the today's twenty eighty Ti in it, it's like you could you could you could probably do it. And the software just gets better. Like you get better at tricking it, and there's new optimization right. tricks. But uh, currently today, it's a pretty big difference between a PS four and a movie. But it's with the right hardware, they could be very similar. Well, and I've got to, just to compliment the game a bit too, I've got to say like the art in it, just in terms of design and, and, and choices of how things look is at such a high level. That is so much of what makes it incredible. It's not, you know, it's it's running hardware that we've been using for years now. And the fact that we can still be blown away this late into the game is is always fun. I mean, a lot of the time that's when the most incredible games come out. It's pretty late into any hardware generation. But mm-hmm. I it's it's things like um, I, I think that a lot of non creator gamers would think about in terms of just lighting and camera placement the, those choices not just the abilities of the hardware but creative choices by the game developers go so far in it feeling cinematic I mean it's a lot of why even when I watch old clips of the first Metal Gear Solid on PS One it still looks <laughs> cinematic because there was people with great cinematography uh, intuitions making these decisions about camera choices. It's not, even though the graphics are terrible. <clears throat> and so we're still, this is still happening. You know, it's like, even though there could be higher fidelity graphics in this game, the creative decisions are so inspired and incredibly beautiful that that's what lets you just be completely absorbed in the world. And yeah, I mean, my overall impressions of the game are that are, I, really positive like it's it's one of the most beautiful things i played in a long time it's the most i've cared about a game in a while and but but maybe because of that i have the longest list 
of complaints as well. Uh, kind of like Star Wars. Like, I love Star Wars, but there's no movie I could complain about more than Star Wars because well, now, you watch now it we're polarizing closely, people with that attention. with that one. Well, yeah, it's just like it, you know, I I I complain because I care. I have a lot more that I could complain about on Macs or iOS than on Windows, just because I'm familiar with it and I'm close, so close to it that mm-hmm. even though it's my world that I choose to live in. I could definitely see how I would choose to improve it to, to make it better. Um, so I don't know. There, there's definitely a long list of stuff I've been seeing in, in Final Fantasy VII Remake because of that. But at the same it. time, I absolutely love it. You got to get that capture card. You should make the video. You should just like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like there's, I mean, in my opinion, I don't know, like, I don't know your business strategy and whatnot, but it's like, I, I live streamed Call of Duty Mobile, like for a couple days there, you know, I was like so into it. And it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen like professional quote unquote, professional mobile gaming. You wear like gloves on your fingers and like no, you, I have you, not. You, what you use you use six fingers at once. Oh, it's a whole it's a whole thing, a whole category. It's all like iPad professional gaming because uh, you use six fingers like the claw, and you have that gloves on your fingers crazy. so they don't get sweaty. And like I streamed it, I was into it. I bought the adapters to like put it on Twitch and like YouTube, and I was like, I don't really care if people care about this. Like, um, I mean, I approach YouTube a little bit differently now. That was like a couple months ago, but like. If you're into it, you, you just gotta. I feel like you just gotta get it out, you know. Even if like, I mean, if you go to my YouTube channel now, like, there's like eight videos because I got rid of all the old. But it's like, it's like, but at the time, I like, I had to make it, you know. It's like, feel compelled to make it. That's like what drives everything. I was just like, today I must do this, and I just yeah. do it. It sounds, it sounds like you're at that level of uh, well, yeah. Right now, <laughs> I just got a note with Final that's Fantasy. filling up of things I want to say, but so much of the challenge is the is like the format for me. Like what, mm. you know, YouTube and video wants a certain type of content and I want to do it justice, right? I want to put the time in that it deserves. So a lot of the time that just means B roll that accurately represents what you're talking about. And that is game. That is is so time consuming, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And and even when you're not filming yourself, if you're just playing the game, it's like, well, I still want the clips that represent the thing that I'm referring to. And that can take a lot of time to capture, but I know I want to do it. So you just record the whole playthrough. I mean, that's, basically yeah yeah because you can't you can't just like scrub back in time it's like well i have to go play that level again but it's like eight hours into the game it's like uh yeah exactly is is, that what people do i don't even know what they do (laughs) yeah yeah it's like you know from what i hear from some of those people that do that it's like script script writing can take a month you know just to write it right um and then recording it is like also a month because you might have to play the game like five times or something to get the clip and then you then your script might change it's like a very long a very long process, but you know, for the people that make a living at it, it's um, it's quite viable when you combine it with uh, Twitch streaming, like Jack Frags and like you know the the top guys. It's like they're doing real well, <laughs> but it is a tremendous other a lot of work. It's like oh, you get to play video games all day. It's like it's super hard, super annoying. Yeah, like yeah. You know, how much footage you Except end up for, with. I mean, like it's a pain in the ass. That does make p- streaming so appealing, though. That you not that they're not working hard, but then the you can just turn it on and start going. So much of the like resistance to me making new content is mm-hmm. knowing what I want to do, sort of having the confidence of the moment of, I know that what I have to say about it is interesting. I know that I'm going to be able to create something visually beautiful about it. Whereas even podcasting here, all of that resistance is gone because I'm like, well, if I run out of things to say, I've got a great guest on that can bounce something back at me. Uh, you know, it, the expectation is that you're going to hear a conversation. So it's going to be back and forth. And I don't need to necessarily have a really unique, interesting point. And so I, I so often I find that pressure of 
uh, you know, of YouTube, which is what I do all the time. Like I do a lot of YouTube. I know how to do it, but I still mm-hmm. want everything to be good. And that slows me down and actually ever creating any of it because, yeah. you know, I sort of have that expectation of myself. Yeah. And I, I tell people that are like streaming, it's like, there's, if you stream for YouTube, it's more like a webinar. You kind of typically have to be like, we're going to do this thing, but we're going to do it. Like we have, you're basically going to read a YouTube video live and then have a Q and A at the end. That's pretty much the format. Right. Um, at least for what I, you know, from what I see is successful. Whereas Twitch, it's like you, if you don't stream for six to eight hours, you might as well not. Right. And it's like, so that's not as so insane to me. <laughs> yeah. So they're different cultures. I Cause I, I spent, I spent a year on yeah. Twitch, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm to kind of learn it and understand it as I, as I was transitioning into games, like I wasn't making two years ago, I was like, I'm going to start making games, like essentially, you know, working in game. Well, and we, we didn't talk about that at all, by the way, that you make Cinetracer. Um, <laughs> uh, That's what, we, don't ha- like, we don't have to at all. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm also curious where it's at right now. So like, I, you know, I was using it last time we talked, I hadn't used it yet. And I have since, um, where, where's it at right now? Like, what are you, are you working more on, it feels like I see you doing videos in the real world a little bit more than in development world at this moment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So like, you know, to put it like, like bluntly, Cinetracer, I opened up Unreal Engine one day and I used like a template that everyone can have. It just kind of like gets you up and running for like a third person game. And mm-hmm. two years later, that's Cinetracer. And I, I didn't really like conceive of it to be like a product product, like it truly has evolved to. It's really just like, I, I, I was like, oh, it'd be cool if we had a tripod. And I made a tripod. I was like, well, what if that tripod could like pan around? <laughs> yeah. And we put a camera in it. And like literally it was like that question for two years straight. And I streamed it on Twitch because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And people would come in and help me. That's, the, that's why I was on Twitch for UE4 streaming. As all the other devs would be like, oh, this guy's streaming. And like they would literally tell me how to program it because I don't know. I would, I'm just learning still. It's like two years is not that long into That's any so interesting. Yeah. profession. So it's been two years of like, okay, so what if we turned on ray tracing? Okay, that's a nightmare. It's very hard to learn. You know, it's like, oh, what if we made humans and cars and different maps? And it's like, think about learning anything for the first time, but then having that be something that people like judge you on. Like, it's like, so that that's what that project is. And so- that makes it seem not so good, but like to to put it in perspective for today, uh, it's not on pause, but I focus very hard on making like next, next level stuff, if that makes sense. Like max the hardware out, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And I'm using that in Unreal Engine. And so that's what a lot of the demos are today. Like the, the equipment in my house, no, no normal person will have this ever. Like it's like in the next couple of months here, you'll, you'll see it. But I'm testing it at super high level. And then we see what kind of comes back down that I can put into Cinetracer because Cinetracer always has to be uh, fit to work on like a MacBook Pro or like, you know, mm-hmm. a Razer with like a 2080 Max-Q, which that might sound like a lot for you know, the average gaming and stuff like that. But when it comes to real-time stuff, that, that stuff is not very powerful. So I, I, at this point, I see Cinetracer as kind of like, well, I can, ex- I can execute super high-end stuff. And that's what I've been doing the last two months, like really high-end. And it's like, and what from that comes down to the kind of consumer level? Um, when it comes to virtual production or previs and that sort of stuff. So that's kind of the way I I look at mm-hmm. it. So like anytime I learn something like really cool and I'm like, oh, I can simplify this and I can get it to fit on like, you know, just like we're talking about like a PS4 kind of budget, uh, then I'll kind of put it into Cinetracer. So it kind of becomes like my, um, once I really learn something in Unreal Engine, then I'll basically put it in there. It might be similar to like if someone learns how to do some crazy After Effects thing and then they make it a plugin, right? They're like, oh, I wrote this whole thing and it makes it really easy to make it, whatever, I don't know some sort of motion graphic in 3D. It would have taken that 
other people would never learn it because it's programming and you put it in a plugin right so it's like um that's kind of where it is on like a bigger context for me as a product it's blown up like huge like massive way bigger than i was expecting and just what it is for anybody listening how do you describe it in like 15 words or something Oh yeah, so it's like it's it's basically like Fortnite, except you have realistic cameras and lights. That's <laughs> tr that's truly the way yeah. I, I I think about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as far, as far as accessibility, it's like mouse and keyboard. Somewhat of an Xbox controller is semi semi supported, and yeah, you have uh, you can put people in there, put lights on them, look at them through a camera, and then we're kind of just experimenting, like oh, how good can this look. You know, and like, you know, how do we make things that are complicated, like level building somewhat simpler um, so that you don't have to learn 3D and filmmakers use it for storyboarding. And now, given the uh, current lockdown of every film school in the world, every film school in the world has reached out to me, like literally every right. single film school, like every day, constantly. Yeah. To, te to teach filmmaking th through it, because it's like, oh, that's great. It's a great medium. You know, like if you need to go like, hey, what's focal length? <laughs> you know, it's like you're not going to get into the classroom anytime soon, like in the next year. Um, it's it's serving a need there already. And then for the people that are really interested, it's like uh, if you want to do virtual production, which is like still kind of like a what does that even mean? Uh, I'm building like really basic virtual production stuff in there so that you can uh, like try it. Like if you have a Vive just hanging out, you can do like a virtual camera with it uh so it's it's an interesting project uh, it's it's blown up so it's like my full-time job to do it um but i consider it kind of like the basic version of what you might see me doing on like instagram like it's like a, a consumer packaged version which is it's just fun like i think a lot of software companies are creative companies right it's like you create this special tech that you do and then like that's like that's you sit on it like only we can do that and we we charge a lot of money if you want to do it it's a service right so instead of doing that kind of thing which I'm kind of starting to do again, actually. But like, I was, I was like, how about I just make that tool available to everyone and see how that goes? And so it's gone quite well because like, it's basically just like my personal Unreal Engine project that I've built a lot of cool stuff into and I can basically share with people. It's an in interesting software model. How far off do you think virtual production is from being, I don't know how you describe mainstream, but ma mainstream? I don't know, something that people are um, uh, doing, I don't know, that's happening a lot on especially like i was saying maybe in the commercial world like w just in terms of like when would you predict right now that a uh you know every city in the world will have a dozen of these running at any given time end of this year probably if that's the if yeah. that's the if it's just like 10 studios in every well not like you know major filming community end of this year mm -hmm. at this at this rate cool. like the amount of the amount of interest in it considering the lockdown considering the practicality of it is very very high and also also virtual production uh, on a broader scope for broadcast almost e not not every but like the uh, the majority of the big tv studios already have it it's already built in it right. just doesn't look right. cinematic they've it's seen like, it coming oh, for a while yeah they've been using it for 10 years you know it's like if you watch mm -hmm. like i don't know if you've seen like the weather channel has like a guy standing there and like a tree explodes next to him <laughs> or like the, the studio yeah, floods it it definitely does it's just a yeah. different delivery because yeah. it's like news and it's all wide shots it's not cinematic but if they zoomed in went out of focus and changed the lights it's all of a sudden mandalorian mm -hmm. same tech so technically it's probably at the scale you're talking about it's already here it's just the format right like um is it's more live events and news and whatnot used used for cinema and commercials is still the niche part, but if you're if the 
you know, if what you're looking for is like there's 10 studios in every major filming community, that already exists. But bringing it to like maybe so that like, you know, you're like $500,000 commercial execution, something like that is using it. That's still what's kind of like coming down because it kind of requires like a standing studio. You don't rig, you can't just like mm-hmm. rent it for the day really and be like, cool, let's just do it for today. It's like, it needs a little bit more like infrastructure usually. Cool. Well, I can't wait to learn how to do it myself and for it to be all around us. And I'll keep watching you on Instagram to see where it's going. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Thank you.